Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, helping higher education marketing leaders share knowledge about learning, strategies, and tactics that are relevant today. See what you can learn today by listening to one of our episodes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, hosted by Concept3D. My name is Shiro Tori, and I will be your host today. And I'm really, really excited to be covering a bit of a, a different topic than we usually talk about here on this podcast, but you know we're going to be talking about increasing student retention with a focus on community engagement, especially during the new student orientation process. And for that, I'm also very excited to introduce our guest today. He is the Assistant Dean of Students and the Director of the Center for Student Success at Concordia College. Please welcome John Andrick. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm excited to visit and talk a little bit more about my role and the work that we do with retention and orientation. And uh, yeah, just really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's, it's a pleasure to have you. And as always, I love to enter the conversation with a bit of an icebreaker, which is what do you love about higher ed, John? Yeah, that's such a big question. Um, <laughs> there's just... There's a lot to love. Um, I, I think the, the thing I love most about higher education is working with the students. Um, the demographics that we work with age-wise in particular, um, they're just at a ripe place in their lives, trying to figure out who they are, what what they wanna do, who they want to be, what kind of an impact they have wanna have on the world. Um, they're, they're just really starting to figure out um, some big questions in their lives. And to be a part of that exploration, to be a part of that discovery, um, to be a part of that maturation process uh, with the students, uh, it's really exciting to me. Um, it keeps me energized. It's uh, despite moving into more administrative roles and, and things like that in the work that I do, um, it's really important for me to keep a student caseload, a, a, a student workload so that I keep that connection. Um, because that's, that's why I'm here. I'm here for the students. Um, it's what I love most about the work, and it's what I love about the environment. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And speaking of students, um, I think when I asked you, you know, what, what does your title really reflect and what would others around campus say you do? I think you mentioned, like, student retention was a big focus. Like, that's what others would say. Obviously, there's a lot more to your role than that. But can you tell me a little bit more about the interesting thing Concordia has done in terms of orientation for students? Um, I'd love for you to go into a little more detail about that. Yeah, our orientation uh, is a, a little bit different than I think a lot of other institutions do in that we don't we don't have a required summer orientation. We launch our new student orientation uh, right before the start of fall term. You know, other institutions might do more of like a welcome week when students get to campus, but ours is is formal and it's required and and um there are certainly the social and cultural and fun components to, uh, to the orientation experience but it, it really builds some of that content that would normally fall in a summer orientation in, into that that first week that they're on campus so three days prior to the start of classes launching um, our new students arrive they move into their residence halls um, they are assigned or they join clubs and those clubs are the, the cohort or the group that they move through the orientation experience with. Um, I, I think it gives us an opportunity to have students who are 
shifted into college mindset uh, as opposed to still being in the high school mindset where they might mm -hmm. still be in late June, early July, um, you know, and they've really started to make that transition mentally to being a college student. And so I think it gives us a, a chance to, to be a little bit more fruitful and productive in that orientation experience than if we were having them come while they're still thinking about graduation or baseball season or going to the lake or, or whatever the case might be. Um, so we, we have made that shift and, and we think it's really made some difference for us in terms of onboarding students into the academic experience and the cultural experience of, of being a student at Concordia. I love that. And you mentioned a little bit about how you're grouping students into, into these different clubs, I think you said. And I was yep. curious, how do you go about doing that? And, um, you know, how, what are some of the outcomes of it? Yeah. Um, so we have a, a whole range of first year experience, first year transition uh, programming and courses and, and things like that for our students. And one of those courses um, is, is a is a I mean, we call it now an engaged citizenship seminar um, and those engaged citizenship seminars have a common set of learning outcomes but the topics for the course might be very different based on the faculty member that teaches them so you know one course might be geared towards thinking about hunger and homelessness another course might be geared towards um, thinking about baseball another one might be interested in um, history of the samurai uh, though so really wide ranges of topics even though there's a, a shared outcome um, and students select which of those courses that they want to go into in the first year and then they are put in their clubs based on their registration for those courses so you know students who are selecting the samurai course um, there's the assumption then that they have at least a shared interest in that topic and they chose that class for a reason. Right. So we have that sort of jumping off point that we can use as a, hey, you all selected this course uh, due to an interest in this particular topic area. Okay. And it's a little bit more specific than just a major. I mean, if students are biology majors or psychology majors, they might be coming to that major for very, very different reasons. But chances are, if they selected the baseball course, they have a real interest in baseball, you know, so that that can become a, a jumping off uh, topic for students that are that are in that club together. It gives them a common set of interests. Um, it gives them a little bit more of a foundation, in our opinion, to move through that orientation experience together. They get through orientation and then they they have that shared class as well throughout the course of that first semester. Um, you know, so it builds this nice cohort model for us um, to keep those students together, to build deeper relationships, um, to have stronger connections. It's actually quite fun at our commencement each year to see orientation clubs get together again, take photos together and say, you know, this is my club that I started with and here I am graduating with them as well. So it's, it's fun to see them progress through their four years to do that. Um, more recently, we, we listened to some feedback, particularly from our students of color who, um, who had suggested that that cohort model um, maybe didn't work as well for them um, in certain circumstances that caused them to feel a little bit more isolated. We're a, we're a historically white institution, a predominantly white institution. And so in a lot of cases, our students of color were then sort of being isolated in these groups mm -hmm. of white students uh, in those clubs. Um, and so they came and asked, asked us if they could create some sort of an opt-in club that would allow them to move through the orientation experience um, 
with, with others that had shared lived experiences, shared cultural experiences that, that they were bringing to the table. Um, so this past year, fall of 2022, was the first year that we tried that sort of additional opt-in uh, club option. Um, and the feedback that we've gotten from the students that joined that club has been nothing but positive. You know, of mm -hmm. course, we just have one year of of outcomes and, and one year of, of understanding of it, uh, but it's certainly a practice that we plan to continue um, to give those students that option of, you know, I chose to be in the baseball group, but I do still also wanna connect with other students of color who are on campus um, and, and go through this experience with them. Um, and so it gives that sort of flexibility to, to choose even further a, a group that better fits the type of experience that they want to have. I, you know, I anticipate in the next couple of years, we'll give some additional consideration to how we might grow those, um, have other opt-in options um, so that again, students can further group themselves together based on interest or based on shared experiences. That's fantastic and, and amazing. I remember my, I went to a large university, public university, and I didn't really understand the purpose of orientation week. Yeah. I think there was like a concert and um, maybe a, a showcase of facilities and like clubs we could join, but it was it was not streamlined in a way that really helped me like develop relationships. And what happened was I, I was from out of state, so I lived in a dorm mm -hmm. and the dorm is how I met most of my community. <laughs> and so if, if there's some kind of program out there that really kind of guides you and helps group people who are like-minded alike, I think that's really powerful because I know a lot of students who didn't find a place their first year, they, I mean, I saw them go, right? They didn't, they didn't, they didn't commit to a second year or they switched schools. And so I'm assuming that's, you know, part of the business outcome you're hoping to expect from putting in programs like this. Yeah, I, I think ultimately we are, we're very aware of the importance of developing a sense of belonging and how important that piece can be right. towards a student retaining not just through their first year, but through through the in, entire four years or, or completion of their degree. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so I, I think what what we have really tried to be thoughtful on is is providing multiple layers of opportunity to find that sense of belonging. So, you know, they our students are required to live on campus for their first two years. So they have that same sort of dorm opportunity to develop right. a sense of belonging on their floor or, or in their building. But we know that, that that isn't the only way that we want them to, to develop that sense. So this, this club model in our orientation experience is just another layer of that. The, the shared courses that they have through that first semester is another layer there. Uh, you know, we introduce them to, to student organizations as quickly as possible. Um, we've got a strong culture of athletics on our campus, which is, is another layer. We've got an incredibly strong music program, which is, you know, built around ensembles and, and large group uh, music opportunities. So again, another layer there, you know, and so we're, we're looking at all of these things as, as uh, you know, it's not a one, it's not a one uh, tiered approach to developing sense of belonging. It's where are all of the ways that we can help develop that sense because we know how important that's gonna be to their progression as students. And in terms of like measuring or understanding how, how you're, you know, the different programs, different resources you're putting in place, how they're working, does it come down to surveying students at the end of their first year and at the end of graduation? Like how do you, understand it looks like you're making pretty quick pivots right and so you want to understand pretty quickly 
what you're doing is working? How do you go about that? Yeah, I think, you know, like a lot of institutions, we probably over-survey our students at times. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, so we, we check in with them immediately after orientation is going on. And, and in fact, like each of their orientation sessions has a QR code associated with it so they can they can provide some quick hit feedback, almost like exit slips for those mm -hmm. orientation uh, sessions where, uh, you know, we're trying to do some formative and summative assessments along the way as well so that it's, it's beyond just uh, participation and student satisfaction that we're trying to measure. We're also trying to measure, like, are they actually learning something in, in these experiences? Mm -hmm. um, but the satisfaction piece is also important to us because we we know if they're enjoying themselves, we know if they found value in it, that that again, that's going to sort of solidify that sense of belonging um, or that connection to the institution. Um, so so, yeah, we, we do those sort of quick hit check ins during the orientation experience. Once the orientation experience is over, they're surveyed. Um, we do a, a first year transition lab where those those orientation clubs then get together um, at multiple touch points during the first year. Um, they provide feedback during those labs once those labs are completed. Um, you know, and then there's some some ongoing checkpoints with them again um, as they progress through through their experience. We also use you know some of the more uh, common measures like the NESI or the National Student Survey of, of Student Engagement. Um, mm -hmm. Those those kinds of things to also then measure you know how are we doing longitudinally because students will get that you know in their first year and their senior year. Um, so that's that's good comparative data for us to look at. That's amazing. Is there a specific question for orientation, first year orientation specifically that really helps you stand out like, hey, we really, you know, nailed this one this year because I know you've done a couple student orientations already, right? And like, yep. is there something that you're like, okay, this one that felt good to you kind of know immediately afterwards? Yeah, actually, the, I think my favorite question to look at when they're done with orientation is, is we ask them to, um, to sort of identify which portion of orientation was the most impactful for them. Um, and it, it, it's almost never the social time. It's almost never the free time. Uh, we do an experience in our orientation called Hands for Change in which mm -hmm. students go out and they do service projects in the community uh, as a club. And that is almost always the number one this was the most impactful experience for me. Wow. It's a way for them to get off campus, to connect with our broader community uh, in which Concordia sits. Um, another way for them to, to sort of uh, have a shared experience with their club mates. Um, and so to see that one consistently rise to the top makes me think, okay, we're doing something right here. Uh, it falls really closely in line with our, our mission as an institution. You know, so again, I think it attaches them to who we are as a college right off the bat. Um, and that, I think, opportunity to serve with their fellow classmates as opposed to just learning or doing something fun, again, sort of adds to that, that sense of belonging that they can develop uh, during that short orientation period. We often get really high marks, too, on their opportunities to meet with faculty or with their advisors. So, so again, those things just make me feel good because those are the learning components of orientation, not just the fun components of orientation. Love it when the fun components also get good marks uh, in, right. in that survey, but it's, it makes me feel even better when it's some of the learning components that rise to the top. Love to hear that. And 
was that when you implemented that question, were you expecting that result? Or were you, pro or were you probably expecting the social elements were going to be the top, the top experience? Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, we we for years heard feedback from our students that orientation was too much. There was too much crammed into it that they were trying to do too much with that that three days. And so as we've opened up more free time or more um, sort of self-guided time or more social time, we've, I think, anticipated that those things would then rise, that they would mm -hmm. say, thank you for giving us more time to relax or more time for fun or, or those kinds of things. And I enjoyed that part the most. Um, so I think it has been a little bit surprising to see these learning components still consistently rise to the top of, of that, uh, of that feedback. Um, you know, and it, again, that just, that makes me feel good that we are doing something right. Um, and that we're approaching this in the right way. And, you know, maybe if we hadn't given them more free time, they, those things wouldn't rise, um, um, that they would, would still, or that they would find something else, um, mm -hmm. because they, they would be getting overwhelmed by the learning parts or, or the work right. parts of orientation. But, but I think it's allowed a, a strong balance that has kept the learning, uh, as the focus for the experience overall. Gotcha. And you know, when I think back to move in day, which was a week prior to, uh, orientation week, it was a bit hard to like find my dorm, I remember. And I think I found out I actually didn't sign up for a dorm room. So I lived with my RA for like two weeks, which was not a fun surprise. But yeah. how is, uh, is, is, is the progress or the process of students understanding your campus and like where to go? Is that ever an issue during the orientation week in terms no. of the map of the campus? No, it's, it's really not too bad. I mean, we're a, we're a pretty small college. Uh -huh. Um, that, that, you know, I think is relatively easy to navigate, uh, you know, and we're pretty, uh, deliberate with the orientation experience on, you know, making sure that they're moving around campus and getting introduced to different buildings, um, getting introduced to different facilities on campus. Um, so I, I think we've done a, a pretty solid job of helping them do that so that by day one of classes, there isn't a mystery as to like, oh my gosh, I need to go to biology lab on Thursday morning and I have no idea where that's at. Um, we, we do a pretty solid job, I think, of making sure that they know here's where you're going to be going. You've already been in this building once before. You just need to find the right room number. Um, and we give those opportunities to um, to take campus tours or to do self-guided classroom tours, those, those kinds of things too. So um, hasn't really been a big issue for us once we get to that first uh, first week of classes where students are saying, oh my gosh, I don't know where anything is. I'm lost. I couldn't find <laughs> it. Uh, those right. kinds of things. Or if they are, they're using that as the excuse because they overslept or stayed at lunch too long or, or whatever the case might be. So uh, yeah, we feel pretty good that they know where they're going by the time orientation is That's over. That's amazing. I need to go through your orientation process <laughs> when I go back to school. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, shifting gears slightly, um, I know I love this comment I think you made on our introduction call where you said, if you looked at the student body, Concordia, maybe five, 10 years ago, it was really, really different than what we see today. That means both in demographics um, as well as uh, like where, where students are coming from, right? So more like geographically. And I'd love for you to un Tell me a little bit more about that change and how you've kind of adjusted 
um, the services you offer to students based on that as well? Yeah, um, you know, I think I mentioned in one of my earlier answers too, um, we, we are a predominantly white institution and we're in a predominantly white region, um, but those are, that's changing. Uh, both Minnesota and North Dakota's demographics are, are changing pretty dramatically. Um, and we as an institution, I think, have had to respond to that and think about how, how do we compare demographically to the region that we're in, but also reflecting the fact that most institutions now are drawing more from a nationwide base or a, a larger regional base than maybe we have historically. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've made some concerted efforts to recruit out of, out of communities that we haven't in the past. Um, or that maybe didn't see us as an option. Um, we also are affiliated with the ELCA Lutheran Church in America. Um, so that has, uh, I think, historically sort of set the tone for what types of students, uh, you know, see us as, as the first option or as the right option. Um, you know, and so we've made some pushes over the years to, to better recruit international students, to better recruit um, students of color, to better recruit um, non-native English speaking students to, to better recruit, um, students who are not Lutheran or not Christian. Um, we have a pretty strong and growing Muslim student population on our campus, which is a, a point of pride for us. Um, it, you know, so I think there's been some of those like purely demographic shifts for us. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I think, uh, we've had to sort of, again, grow that recruiting base that we look at and not think exclusively about Minnesota, North Dakota, you know, Western Montana, Eastern Montana, those, those kinds of things. Um, you know, so our athletic programs are dipping into Arizona and Nevada and California and Texas and Louisiana and Florida. You know, so we're really, really casting a wider net uh, than maybe we have in the past, which, again, then sort of contributes to some of that demographic shift. Uh, you know, students that are coming to us from from Florida or Arizona um, might be coming from more heavily uh, right. uh, black and and Latinx populations, which is which is awesome. I think it's it's been fun to see those demographic changes, maybe not even as dramatically as we want them to be. We would love to see more of it. Um, mm -hmm. But but that shift has definitely um, definitely risen to the top in terms of our mindset these these last 10 years for sure. Um, you know, I think obviously COVID had some major impact on who our students are and, and what they're like um, and how we need to serve them. Um, it, you know, I think they just got very comfortable with a different level of flexibility and a different level of, of understanding in terms of, of what attendance looks like and what deadlines look like. Um, you know, and so I, I think we've even had to give some real consideration to what the post-COVID student looks like. And, and um you know, even in the short six years that I've been at Concordia, that I think has has had one of the bigger impacts on who our students are and how we need wow. to serve them. We just need to provide a different level of flexibility and understanding than we have uh, in the past. But, you know, as far as like the way that we serve and, and approach students and program for students, uh, you know, I think one of the biggest things that we've had to do is just consider some of those different cultural expectations that students might have. You know, we're drawing from from student populations in which there's a, a different level of expectation for family involvement, even once they're they're on the college campus. Um, we've had to develop our programming around um, like Ramadan, for example, um, mm, as, a, okay. as a Lutheran institution. Historically, I don't think we gave much thought to Ramadan. 
Um, but these last couple of years in particular, we've made a really significant effort to, to understand Ramadan, to understand what our students are experiencing during that time frame, to provide, mm-hmm. you know, appropriate uh, resources, appropriate um, access to food, you know, all of, all of those kinds of things. Uh, that again, I just we would not have even given that consideration six years ago when I first started because we just didn't have near as many students. Um, so we wouldn't have done it in as much of a formal fashion for sure. Um, but so, you know, my office has developed strong partnerships with our interfaith office and our campus ministry offices and, and those kinds of things to develop programming around around those types of things to to better suit the needs of, of that changing demographic uh, in our students. So fun that. to see. And, you know, I look forward to seeing what additional changes and what what each group of new students brings to us that we weren't mm-hmm. really expecting. And one other thing I want to make note of is, you know, we always kind of knew that we had students on campus that were struggling with food security, with housing security, those those types of things. Um, COVID gave us an opportunity to really study and understand our students from that standpoint. What were the basic needs of our students? How were those not being met, particularly when we sent them away from campus and now they no longer have access to a residence hall, they no longer have access to a dining center. Um, And I think it confirmed for us what we maybe already knew. Um, And also I think helped us understand that things maybe were worse than we expected. We had more students that had uh, issues with food insecurity. We had more students that, you know, for for all intents and purposes, were were homeless when they weren't here. Um, you know, so I, I think that has given us the opportunity to shift into a more basic needs uh, support uh, mindset. You know, so we launched a food pantry within the last couple of years. We've really developed. Um, some strong financial resources around emergency grants that that um, help students overcome really acute financial concerns that they might have. Can't afford rent for the month. Their car breaks down and they can't get to work. Um, they have a death in their family and they need to travel home but can't afford it. Those kinds mm-hmm. of things. That again, I think also to help them develop a sense of this place cares about me and I want to stay here. Um, that that sense of care, that sense of belonging uh, that can come from those things when they know that we're thinking not just about who they are as students, but who they are as people, um, I think can really can really help us in terms of of um, of having them see the value in staying at Concordia. I love it. I'm trying to think of all the different spider webs of connections you're able to create with students that really help them. Yeah feel the belonging, not just from, you know, the amazing first week orientation that you've set up uh, with the clubs and the grouping and the cohorts, but also just like, you know, as a center for students, like providing all these resources. I think I watched a documentary a year or two ago about like students in California, obviously California gets all the, the highlights, but students in California, like Humboldt or something, were living out of their cars because once mm-hmm. they got out of dorms first year, what whatever student loan they got like they couldn't afford rent in the area because it wasn't just they lived in a town where it wasn't just a college town so like housing had gone up because people are other people are moving that are not students so they're just living out of their cars going to class and that was one of the big reasons why students were dropping out of of, of class even though if you looked at all their grades their participation in class you would never be able to expect that because they were doing fine yeah, it's. It, I think a lot about students having divided attention, 
And it's really difficult for them to focus on being a student when they're having to think about how am I going to, how am I going to pay for my bills next month? Right. How am I going to pay for groceries? How, how am I going to overcome this, this, this personal challenge that I have? Right. Um, and also write that paper that's due or study for that test right. that's due, you know? And so I, I think as much as we can, um, think about not necessarily solving or taking away those problems, but reducing the amount of mental, physical, emotional energy that they're putting into those problems that allows them to still free up some of their capacity to focus on, on their schoolwork. That, that I think is a, has become a bigger part of the work that we do is just helping them, uh, free up some of that capacity to turn that paper in, to do well on that exam, to be in class every single day. Um, it, you know, and it's, it's a challenge. We can't fix all of the problems and, and we can't, we can't keep every student here. Um, and, and that can be really disappointing and difficult, uh, to live with. Right. But, um, I think we've also taken the approach that, that student success for us is not just it's not just success at Concordia. It's helping them identify what their long-term goals are. And if that means we have to help them go somewhere else, that's success as well. Um, if they graduate from a different institution because that institution had the right resources or the right academic program or mm-hmm. you know whatever the case might be, that, that to me is a success story for our office as well. Um, if they just disappear, if they, if they fail out, if they, you know, any of those kinds of things, that that's where I'm disappointed because we didn't help them succeed in, in doing what was next. But if we help them make a decision to transfer to a place that's a better fit for them, I I'm okay with that. Um, I would still much prefer that they stay and finish with us, of course. Uh, (laughs) but, but at the end of the day, what we want them to do is, is reach their goals and and become the person that they want to be as an adult and as a citizen in the world. So, um, we can, we can help them move on to, if that's what's in their best interest. Um, but we hope that their best interest is to stay with us. I love that, John. That is amazing. I've loved this conversation. It, it felt very like, I, I don't know, I just, it felt so good, you know, learning a little bit more about what you love to do. I think it really ties back to my first icebreaker. I can just tell, you know, love what you do and you love helping students. And you can really feel that through this digital conversation we're having. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for saying that. I, I think we take a lot of pride in our, our student affairs or student development and campus life division mm-hmm. of, of developing that type of a mindset and of hiring people that, that have that mindset of just, we care about our students and we want to see them succeed. And we know that they are, they're oftentimes, you know, making a really significant investment in coming to school here, um, taking a risk in coming to school here at times. And, and, and we want to make sure that they leave here seeing uh, value beyond uh, that the four years or five years that they spend with us uh, has been worth it um, and that it's laid a foundation for them to go and be successful uh, in whatever comes next for them. That's that's at the core of what we do here. And so I'm glad that that's shining through. Love it. I'm wondering you know, if our, any of our listeners would love to reach out to you and be like, hey, like, can you tell me a little bit more about how you structured your first week orientation, which hoping a lot of people have questions about where can they reach you? Yeah, I, I would love to hear from folks if they have questions or, or want to chat more or if they have ideas of what they're doing on campus that we could also learn from. 
Um, best ways to get in touch with me would be through LinkedIn. You can just search my name, John Andrick, on LinkedIn. Um, so my URL is just the extension is my name with no dots, spaces, dashes, or any of those kinds of things, so John Andrick. Um, or you can email me at jandrick at cord.edu. Um, you could also go to the concordiacollege.edu website and search my name and you'll find me. Awesome. I got a little background noise, but thank you so much for all the, the listeners. There's some construction going on, but thanks so much for all the listeners tuning in. Thank you so much, John, for joining and uh, speaking about all that you've talked about today. And to our listeners, please check out the next episode. You know where to find us. Thank you.